We are back! So it's been going for about 10 or 11 days now. It happened. It finally happened. The Rona came to get me. Came to get me. So that's why I haven't been around for a bit. I've been fine. I've just been tired. Really wasn't sick sick. Had some body temperature fluctuations. And I was just in bed. I was just t- telling my guests I was sleeping like 10 to 12 hours a day the last five days. But I'm back in action. Can't rule out that I'll need me to nap at the end of this episode. <laughs> but I'm on the men. Should be back in the gym on Monday and back with the regular schedule for the podcast. So this is episode number 214 of Shut Up and Grind. So today we're going to be talking about how to overcome depression and chase down your dreams. And so I know we talk about this topic a lot, which is good because a lot of people deal with it. So the fact that I keep finding guests that have similar paths is it's great for relatability because if you're brand new to this show, we're all about overcoming obstacles. We're about defying the odds and helping you clear the path that's stopping you from reaching whatever your goals are. And if you don't know who I am, let me introduce myself. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again. And all that stuff, I was like, you know what? Like, I want to be able to take this even bigger. If you know why you do what you do, you have to know how to charge for what you do. That's how you're going to change your life, and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family. you got to know your work. Ah, it warms my heart to watch that video again. Good. It lets me know I'm right back here where I belong. So before I bring my guest on, you know we have to do the teachable moment of the day. And if having COVID for this past week didn't teach me anything else, it taught me this to don't always believe the hype. You know, don't always. I'm going to say always believe the hype because I've had guests on this show that have suffered through COVID. And so I'm not trying to downplay that or to downplay anyone else's experiences but I had said at the onset of this whole thing that I believed in myself, I believed in my immune system, and that I wasn't going to mess with that. Like, I'm healthy, I eat healthy, I drink plenty of water, and that I'll, I would be strong enough to get through this. One other side effect of it is that I sweat a lot, so I think I'm going to be pouring during this episode, so I apologize for that. But that's it for the teachful moment, is just believing yourself. If you believe something fully in your heart, run with it. Just run with it. Doesn't matter what other people say. Doesn't matter if people try to knock you down or try to force you into seeing their points of view on things. I know who I am. I know what I can fight through. And I was willing to take that risk. So that's what what I'm leaving with you. If you have something that you want to go after, you have something that you you really believe in or something that you want to speak out out against, do it. Because nobody else's opinion matters. So how you view yourself is what matters. All right? So now we have someone 
come into the show that I used to watch as a child. So I was a big wrestling fan growing up. Andre the Giant, he was he was my jam, right? So I was like maybe six or seven when I started started watching Andre the Giant. Big big dude, and he just captivated me into it. And th- there was this guy that he fought a couple times up that had this mask on. Now I didn't really know much about him, but he was a villain to my hero, and so I couldn't stand this guy. And fast forward thirty some odd years later. He's here to talk about his journey. So help me welcome Dr. Chris Whaley. How you doing? Hey, <laughs> thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. Where, where are you joining me from? Uh, Orlando, Florida. Oh, Orlando. I was just down in Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Love it down there. That's my home away from home, believe it or not. I'm, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a big kid, so I love Orlando. Yeah. Well, <laughs> this is where... Uh, you know, all all of our northern friends love to come down here <laughs> and enjoy our sunshine and our warm weather when you guys have got snow and ice up there. Yep. <laughs> it's like when we just went to Jacksonville, we had just left maybe six or seven hours before it started snowing. <laughs> so it was like perfect timing. Perfect timing. <laughs> Are you originally from Florida? I am. I grew up here and uh, about an hour from where I am now, I grew up and uh, my uh, my wife is from uh, Plant City, Florida, which is the strawberry capital of the world. Okay. Uh, the winter strawberry capital of the world. So mm-hmm. uh, we've been here except when I was in school and whenever I was traveling. Okay. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. So how would your best friend describe you? Um, well, I think he's, I think he's listening. I have a, my best friend is uh, a guy I've known since third grade and he's, uh, he's one of the smartest guys I know. And he is, you know, uh, you can tell the definition of a true friend. A true friend is when your boat is sinking and everybody is jumping off, he's there still helping you bail water. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's that guy. And I, I think he would uh, describe me as uh, someone who uh, loves God, who is uh, uh, a good father and a good husband. I think that's how he would describe me. Love it. So as I was going through your background, you, you had had mentioned some tough times growing up. So uh, take me take me through it. Like, how would you describe your upbringing? You know, when I was a kid, I was uh, constantly in and out of the hospital, uh, mostly with pneumonia. Uh, my immune system was just not working uh, every every year uh, in and out of the hospital. In the fourth grade, I had uh, polio and viral encephalitis at the same time. I was in wow. the hospital for three months and uh, had a great doctor, wonderful, wonderful doctor, and he refused to let me give up. And uh, he eventually found out what was wrong with me, uh, uh, found out that I had uh, unbelievable amount of allergies. I was allergic to over 200 things. And so when they got the allergies straightened out, they got me on allergy medication, uh, then my immune system started kicking in and he's the guy that got me going to the gym. He, he just, he wanted me to go to the gym. Uh, when I was, you know, when I had polio, I had to learn how to walk all over again. So he wanted me doing uh, leg exercises and he wanted me doing cardio and he got me doing that. And I took to it. I really, uh, even now I just, I love going to the gym. It is, uh, you know, something I do, uh, about five days a week. 
and uh, you know I'm 67 now, but I I don't give up, and um, that's that's really what what saved me. You know, I, God put this great doctor in my life, and uh, so you know, as a kid uh, who's sickly, you know, you get bullied a lot. Um, not only I get bullied a lot, I was just uh, uh, devastated sometimes, even as a little boy, by uh, depression. And uh, so that was one of the biggest battles that I've continued to battle my whole life. And even to this day, I still battle it. All right. So how would you, you describe your relationship with your parents? Um, you know, I, I have wonderful parents. Uh, they, they weren't that great whenever I was growing up. Uh, can you excuse me? Just uh, my, my wife doesn't know that I don't have a virtual background. Oh, I saw it creeping normally, back there. Normally I have a virtual background, so yeah. I'm just hear me and know that she's on camera. So anyway, I think she'll bend down and, and go out. Uh, uh, okay. I, I'm so sorry, Robert. What it's okay. <laughs> how, how would you describe your relationship with your parents? Oh, with my parents, yeah. My, mm-hmm. my dad uh, had a third grade education. He was a long-distance truck driver. He was a fifth-degree redneck. He was a barroom brawler. My, my mom uh, had very little education also. And my mom struggled uh, with depression. And so uh, we often say that we grew up together because she had me when she was 18 years old. Mm. But um, as as life continued on, my relationship with my folks just got better and better. They weren't the greatest of parents whenever I was little, but they became awesome grandparents. And, nice. uh, and then they became even better parents to me as time went on. Okay. So now you had mentioned depression on a couple of occasions. What do you think the primary source of it was? Well, you know, uh, there's basically two two kinds. Uh, there's circumstantial depression. You know, if you have uh, something that happens to you financially or something that happens to you uh, uh, physically uh, mm-hmm. with your health, those things that or you have an accident. You know, those things can cause depression, but there's also chemical depression. Your brain is not producing some things that it should be producing, and you have to do that with medication. Yes. And for me, that's the one it was, was uh, the chemical depression. Uh, my brain was just not producing some things. And so, uh, again, a great doctor that got me on some uh, some great meds that uh, continue to help me with that. Okay. All right. So you said that getting into fitness and working out saves you. How so? Well, you know, um, if your physical body is not doing well, it's going to affect your emotional body. It's going to affect your spirit. It's going to affect everything. And so if you're working with a, you know, with bad health, uh, it, 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 it's not going to be a good life. So the best thing you can do, you know, eating healthy, um, uh, exercising, doing those things that's going to help your body stay in good shape is going to help you in so many other areas. And so that that's the way it's been with me. And uh, uh, even to uh, last year, I put on some weight and, um, uh, you know, I'm older, I can't carry that weight. And so uh, last year in March, uh, my wife and I both, we just got real serious 
uh, went on a, a, a great program. I dropped, uh, I dropped a lot of weight. And for the first time in my life, I know I'm not going to put it back on. Nice. Because it's just too rough to take off. And I am, so true. I work on it every, every day. And, uh, and I'm, you know, I, I'm feeling better. You know, if, uh, if I could, uh, if I could get up off the floor, I, I'd get back in the ring, you know, but, uh, <laughs> with all the injuries I've had and bad knees, it's hard to get up. But other than my knees, you know, I could still do it if I could get in the ring. Nice. Yeah. So let's talk about that journey. Cause, um, <clears throat> Sorry, <clears throat> still got the lingering effects from the stupid yeah. virus. Yeah. <clears throat> all right, I'm good. Yeah. And then this is why I canceled all the other shows this week. Cause I figured by this one, I'd, I'd be able to get through through the hour without gagging. <laughs> but yeah, um... you're doing great, man. You're doing. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so as I mentioned earlier, I was a big wrestling fan, and at the ripe old age of 38, there was a local circuit here in Rhode Island, mm-hmm. and they were advertising for a referee. Yeah. So I was like, that that might be fun. I was like, you know, let me let me go go do it. But I'm also a highly competitive athlete. And so as I start training to referee, I'm watching, you know, the the performers, and I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> like, like I know I can do this. Yeah. And so I got into it, I did it for about a year, year and a half, and I really, really liked it. So yeah. I'm just curious as so how did you get your start into doing that? Okay. Well, did you take any bumps in the ring? Oh, yes, I did. Yeah, took some, <laughs> some nice bumps yeah. over the top rope, stuff like yes. that. Yeah, that first training, the very first thing we did was we ran the ropes for three minutes, and I yeah. felt like I ran a half marathon. Yeah. <laughs> and and mind you, I'm a, like, I'm a lifelong athlete. Yeah. So, like, I started in shape, and yeah. I, I felt like I'd never worked out before. Yeah. Well, wrestling is so different. I don't, I don't care how good a shape you're in. If you've never done it, once yes. when you get back into the, when you get in the ring, uh, two minutes after you're in the ring, you're, you're, uh, you're cotton mouth. Yes. You're, you're, you're sucking air because it, <laughs> it, it's nonstop. It really yes. is. Yeah. Um, well, you, you know, as I was growing up and in the hospital a lot, uh, there's not a lot on TV late at night. In those days we had three channels, you know, mm. And uh, so late at night, uh, you get your days and your nights mixed up. Uh, I turn the TV on and professional wrestling was always on. Mm. And so as a little boy, I just got hooked on it. I loved watching professional wrestling. And in, in Florida, we had, you know, Florida was one of the biggest territories that there was before the WWE. Yeah. And uh, we had we had the greatest, man. We had, you know, Eddie Graham. We had... Uh, uh, Johnny Valentine, Joe Scarpa, Red Bastine, and uh, Ernie the Cat Lad. Uh, Ernie, yes. We had so many great, great uh, wrestlers in those days. And so I just became, uh, you know, consumed with it. And then anytime I could get my dad to take me to the arena to see it in person, that was like a home run. And mm-hmm. so I just, you know, I grew up loving it and watching it. Uh, my wife and I graduated from college together. We came back to Central Florida, and uh, she was a high school math teacher. So she's grading papers one day, and I was looking at the paper. I was in the best shape of my life at that time. 
and I got the paper and, and it said uh, in the one ads, it said wanted professional wrestlers. And I just jumped up out of the chair. I took it over and showed it to her. And, and uh, she was grading papers and she saw it and she just kind of rolled her eyes and put grading papers. You know? I said, I'm going, I'm going. So I, you know, I, I put a bag together uh, with some, you know, some sweats and shoes and shirt. And, and I drove over to Tampa, Florida and I walked into the gym and there was this guy that I had watched growing up. I feared him as a child. Uh, he was the great Malenko. And, uh, you know, his son uh, worked in WWE, worked in WCW, uh, Dean Malenko, the man of a thousand holes. Uh, and I actually trained with Dean and his brother, Jody. Uh, but, you know, I see this guy and not only was he a great wrestler and a great guy, but he was a great trainer. He trained some of the biggest names in the business. And so um, I, you know, I started that day and about six months later, I had my first match. And I was hooked on it from the moment that I walked into the gym. And uh, I still, you know, I still have it in my heart even to today. It was just a great, great life. That's awesome. I love it. And so I remember, I remember my, my first match. I think it was four minutes. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I wanted to die. <laughs> it was so, it was so brutal. And because so one thing from people outside, they all say, oh, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake, it's fake. And my defense is always like the outcomes are scripted. But what you do in that ring is real. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I've taken elbows to the face. I got shots in the neck. I had my leg twisted over, yeah. you know, having a big 240 pound guy come splashing down on me. It's like yeah. that stuff is real. So, yeah. so what were your experiences like in the ring? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I have a lot of opportunities to speak and I, inevitably after you speak, you know, Bubba's going to come up to you and say, uh, you know, that wrestling's all fake, ain't it? Yeah. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> and, and I always ask them, how do you fake a body slam? How do you fake a body slam? You do that. You know, I started uh, at the very bottom. I, I crushed my ankle. I've had five knee surgeries. I've torn both ACLs, MCLs. Uh, dislocated hips, broke pelvis, I broke all my ribs, my sternum, both collarbones. Mm. I've had both shoulders surgically repaired, wow. neck injuries, back injuries. I have over a hundred concussions. And if it was fake, somebody forgot to tell me. So, <laughs> exactly. uh, but, you know, it just, it just something that you, you deal with, you deal with the injuries and you get over it and you keep going and you don't let anything stop you. But uh, uh, it was, you know, it was just a lot different once you get into the ring and you start yeah. working with most of the guys you work with are great people. Yeah. But every now and then you're, you're working with some guys that really don't care about you. Yeah. And uh, I, I mean, I've had guys that tried to hurt me and guys that did hurt me. But, uh, you know, you learn from each one of those and you try not to let those things happen again. So now let's talk a little bit about about the politics of wrestling because you you obviously did it on a much bigger stage than i did mm -hmm. but the, but the politics was still present so like i was the new guy but but again as i said i was 38 when i was doing it yeah. so you know i wasn't 17 i wasn't i wasn't 20 you know i was a grown man and, and there were like a bunch, bunch of youngins there so i kind of ascended pretty quickly yeah. and a couple of people took exception to that like in one one of the matches one of the guys was undefeated 
and I was supposed to go over him this this match. Yeah. And and he was not happy about it. And he's like taking it out on I'm like, why are you mad at me? <laughs> you know, I'm like, the promoter made the call. <laughs> it's yeah. like not me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. but have you had to deal with anything like that? Uh oh yeah. Yeah, you you did that. You know, there was uh um yeah, some some of the guys that you work against have this persona about them that they think they are in, invincible and uh, they think that everything should go their way. Uh, they're not going to give you any moves and stuff like that. And uh, so I think it you know it goes back to your training, how well you were trained and all. Uh, you know, some guy may not want to do certain moves, but when you put his arm in a certain way. And when you start to take him down, he either goes down or the arm doesn't uh, do very well. (laughs) You just, you just learn to do that. And, you know, you, you're going to deal with, uh, you're going to deal with jerks and all points of life. And so uh, wrestling is no different. You you just deal with it. (laughs) That's true. All right. So now you're, you're into it. So has your depression followed you or like, did it start to level out some while you were wrestling? You know, um, the the least time that I dealt with depression was when I was in wrestling. I was in wrestling for 10 years. And the reason why was because you get to work out all your aggression. You get to work out all of your, you know, uh, kinks in your hose that are going on. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I, I just I look forward to every time you get into the ring. And so my depression really went down. Uh, whenever I was in wrestling and then when I got out of wrestling, then it went, it went back up again. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think that is another thing, uh, helping people with depression is doing exactly. And now I understand you've got one of the greatest gyms there is up North. And uh, so people go to your gym, uh, they find a trainer and they get this regular regiment that they're doing uh, that's going to help them also if they're, you know, dealing with depression. And so it it really, really helped me to be able to get in there and do that every day. And now, you know, even going to the gym uh, really helps a lot with that. Yeah, like, so I do a, a lot of talk talks about men- mental health and depression, you know, just overcoming obstacles in general. And one of, one of the things I try to stress to people is that you need an outlet. Like, it doesn't matter what the outlet is, but you some type of an outlet. Because right. to just to just stay in that dark place is when the bad things compound, the bad feelings, the bad thoughts, which lead to bad actions. Yeah. But so, so obviously you had a major outlet. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but so, so the next question I have for you, what was it like feeding off the crowd? What was it like what? To feed off of the crowd. Oh, man. You know, if, if you did not have a good crowd, it was not going to be a good night. But uh, if you had a great crowd, it was going to be a great night. And then with me, uh, you know, the, the last part of my career, the last years of my career, I was the baby face. I was a good guy. Mm-hmm. And so um, if you don't have a good heel, bad guy to work with, it's not going to be a good match because the match is only as good as the heel. 
Yeah, uh, he's, one, he's leading the match, and uh, you know every bad thing he does to you is going to make the the crowd enraged and all. <laughs> so you just you feed constantly off of that uh, off of that crowd. And if you had a great heel to work with, uh, it was going to be a great night. So did you ever have it flip on you? Because I remember. Let me bring my microphone closer to me. Yeah, because I remember one one match I had. Now I was the heel, and yeah. I th- I thought I played the heel role quite well, but the people liked me. <laughs> and, so, and so it's like I'm looking I'm looking at the promoter like, what do you want me to do? Like they're cheering. <laughs> I'm like they're not supposed to be cheering right now. So <laughs> have you dealt with anything like that? We had, oh. had to kind of improvise. I did. You know, when I was uh, I was wrestling in Mississippi. And, uh, of course, I wore all white. You know, I had white boots and white trunks and white tights and a white cape and a white mask. And I was wrestling in Mississippi, and the, uh, the pre- predominantly the crowd uh, was an African-American crowd. Yeah. And I was wrestling uh, an African-American also who was the baddest heel there was. Mm-hmm. And they're cheering him and they're booing me. So... <laughs> I, I can't change that. You know, I can't yeah. change that. And so uh, <laughs> while you're doing that, you just say, well, they're going to cheer him. Let's give them things to cheer about. So <clears throat> you you turn it around, make him look good. You know, that's yeah. what I did. Yeah. <laughs> I love Great. It. All right. So when did you get out of wrestling? So you said you did it for 10 years. Did something cause you to get out of it or just did your time run its course? Wrestling was my dream, but ministry was my calling. I mean, I, I knew I was called to be a pastor uh, when I was in college. And then, uh, you know, some things happened and I got into wrestling and all. My last three years in wrestling uh, was in Fort Worth, Texas, while I was going to seminary at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I was working on my Masters of Divinity in the daytime and I was wrestling at night. And so I... Um, I knew that the day was going to come where I would no longer be in wrestling. And that day came in, in uh, May of 1988. Uh, that's when I retired at the height of my career. I mean, things were just really starting to go well for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I graduated from Southwestern Seminary and then I went to my first church. So I was 34 years old and the majority of wrestlers that, you know, in the business, I mean, there's a lot of wrestlers that wrestle right through their fifties, you know, some even into their sixties, yep. uh, like the funks, you know, Terry oh, Funk yeah. yep. and Dory Funk Jr. Uh, they, they wrestled a long, long time. I think, uh, Lawler, uh, Jerry Lawler is still oh, working. Yeah. He's in his sixties, you know? So, um, you just, you just know that day is coming. It was a sad day because I enjoyed wrestling, but it was a great day to fulfill my calling. God had called me to be a pastor. And so um, I got out and I went to my first church, but I also stayed in touch. You know, I still have friends in wrestling that I keep up with. Um, now they have what they, what's called the legends luncheon over in Tampa uh, every couple of months. And so I get to go over there and uh, see some of the greats. I mean, uh, B. Brian Blair, one of the killer bees, oh, yeah. uh, he leads it. And uh, he's the guy that heads that up. But <clears throat> just some great guys over there. Uh, you know, Bugsy McGraw, uh, one of the, uh, Jerry Briscoe, he's usually there. Yeah. And uh, you, you see all kinds of guys. Uh, 
the the Rock's dad, uh, Rocky Johnson. Yeah. Uh, he was there every time we had a, a luncheon. He was usually there until he passed away a couple years ago. He was a great guy too. Uh, so you get to stay, you know, you get to stay with it and see some of your buddies and and uh, uh, you know. And then when I when I wrote the book and the book was made into a movie, it just started all over, and I got to you know become even more involved in wrestling again because of that. Nice. All right, we're going to come right back to that because I, I forgot to ask you something. So, what was your favorite moment from wrestling? Uh, I guess my favorite, I had a, had a couple of them. Well, one of them was, uh, the opportunity to wrestle the undertaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got to wrestle him in, in Dallas in 1988. Uh, he was just a kid then. I think he was 23 years old and, you know, he's like six foot eight, 315 pounds. He's got a wingspan that's just unbelievable. <laughs> and, uh, so getting to work against him was, uh, great. Uh, getting to work against the ultimate warrior was, uh, was great. And, um, working against, uh, Bruiser Brody. Of course, uh, I got my last concussion from Bruiser Brody. He, it, it wasn't that great, but still, <laughs> he was, he was one of the, one of the greats of the business. So just, you know, working with them, working with the Freebirds, uh, that was, a uh, great, uh, also the Von Erics. Um, I was just greatly blessed to work with some of the best in the business. Yeah. Ultimate Warrior. He was one of my favorites growing up. I had a big old, Big old mural of him up in my room, him and uh, and of course Hulk Hogan, you know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. But, but yeah. So, but what was it like being in the ring with him? Like, at, like actually working with him. Uh, well, with the uh, with the Undertaker, it, it was great. You know, he he was very new to the business, and so um, yeah, we we had a great match. It's kind of funny. Uh, I was not supposed to wrestle him. Uh, I, I wrestled early and it was on a Friday night. And when I wrestled on a Friday night, I took my wife and my two little girls with me. And then after I, I worked, we would go and do our Friday night fun night, you know, as a family. Yeah. And so this night I wrestled, I went back to the dressing room and I'm taking my boots off and the promoter comes in and says, Hey, uh, uh, the guy who was going to work against, uh, Mark Calloway, the undertaker, um, he is not going to make it. So I need somebody to work twice. And I, I raised my hand. I, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, uh, so, okay. I, so I had to get the referee to go out and find my wife and girls and t- tell them not to leave, you know, cause mm-hmm. after I went back, got a shower, I'd meet them in the parking lot. So he goes out and, uh, finds my wife and girls and he came back. He said, I found them. They're going to wait for you. No problem. Mm-hmm. So they didn't know who I was working against. And uh, so, <laughs> I get in the ring, the lights go down, and that hideous music comes on. He, you know, he comes walking out, and I found my girls in the crowd. There they are, you know. And when he comes walking out, I look, and both my little girls started crying. You know, uh, they were afraid for their dad. And then my wife, her eyes got real big, and and I saw her reach over and grab her purse and start going through her purse. And so anyway, we had the match. It was just, it was a great, great match. We went about 20 minutes. And um, so anyway, that night after we had our good time together, we're driving back to Fort Worth and I look in the rearview mirror, both my little girls are asleep. Mm-hmm. And I looked over at my wife and I said, um, Hey, uh, right before the match started, I saw you grab your purse going crazy through your purse. What was that about? And she thought for a moment and she said, Oh, I was looking for the checkbook to make sure you'd paid the insurance. 
Nice. I mean, he, you know, he was a lot bigger than me uh, in the, in the ring, you know, it's kind of an optical illusion. You've been in the ring, you know, that yeah. there's a little bit of an optical illusion. Some guys that are not as big as other guys, you, you don't really see a huge difference when they're locking up and they're doing all their moves and everything. But um, uh, that night was just uh, unbelievable because, you know, he's six foot eight and he did the full body press with me. Oof. And uh, so I was a long ways up and then he just, you know, and I was a long ways down. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I took a uh, I took a Samoan drop once from this guy. He was like six five, I want to say. And same thing, it felt like I was falling forever. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I hit the mat. It was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, I will never, ever, ever make fun of wrestling ever again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's very easy. To, like if you don't understand to, to buy into the whole it's fake thing. But yeah, let somebody open hand slap you into the center of your chest oh, and yeah. see and see how that feels. Or like oh, you said yeah. earlier about being thrown over the top rope. Oh yeah. You know, I was in a battle royal once, and so the guy the guy goes to throw throw me over, and my foot got caught in the ring. And let me tell you, that hurt. Oh, oh yeah. my god. Like I'm down there like screaming, and you know, it took like three guys to untwist it to get my foot out. But I was I'm like, God, I thought my ankle was gonna snap. Yeah, it's insane. Yeah. So, like, any anyone that plays the whole wrestling is fake thing, I always say, just step step in the ring, step in the ring for three minutes, yeah, <laughs> and then then formulate an opinion because right. like what 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 you guys go through and you know what the athletes today go through, like they go through hell to put yeah. that show on. They go through yeah. hell. Well, you know, um, in my when I was pastoring my second, uh, my second church, um, uh, Dory Funk Jr. was a, a member of my second church. And and uh, it was just, you know, great getting to hear some of the great stories that he had. But he he was working a show over in Ocala, Florida uh, for ECW. You remember ECW? Oh, yeah. Yep. And he said, hey, you want to work? And I mean, I'm a pastor. And uh, but I, I was in pretty good shape. And I said, sure, sure, I'll do it. And he said, so uh, they're going to have an 18-man over-the-top rope battle royal. You can be in that. And uh, so one of the, you know, one of the last matches I had was an 18-man over-the-top rope battle royal. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there were some big guys in that. You remember Mr. Hughes? Yes. Uh, yeah, Mr. Hughes was in that. Uh, the Bruise Brothers, they were in that. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of guys that were just getting into wrestling. Uh, one guy was an uh, offensive lineman for the Miami Dolphins. And, uh, oh, there were Japanese wrestlers. There were all – it was just uh, – oh, Tommy Dreamer. Tommy Dreamer oh, was yeah. in yeah. that. Uh, Taz. Uh, yes. and, uh, I was, I was very, very thankful getting thrown over the top rope that, uh, that I landed the way I was supposed to, and I didn't get hurt because mm. that would have been very uh, difficult to explain to the church coming with crutches. <laughs> True. <laughs> oh man. All right. So what motivated you to write your book? Um, I had uh, so many stories when I left wrestling and I became a pastor, um, I started handling some things more as a professional wrestler than as a pastor. Uh, I had a guy that, or this real sweet lady who would come into the service every week. Uh, she'd be the last one in and the first one out. She'd drop her kids off at a program and then she'd come into the sanctuary. 
And I, I didn't get to talk to her very much. And then one Sunday she came in with sunglasses on and she was the last one in. And then after the service was over, I would stand at the front and shake hands with people. And on this day, she was the last one to come out. And when she came out, she took my hand with both of her hands and she had her head down and you could see tears coming down her cheeks. And um, I lifted her sunglasses and she had two black eyes. And uh, it just infuriated me. You know, any man that would hit a woman is a dirt bag. And yeah. uh, so I said, I'm going to go see your husband. And she got, you know, uh, you know, scared thinking that he would hurt me. And I told her I wasn't worried about it. So I just I went over to his house and uh, called him outside. And I said, you know, one thing I know about bullies is bullies only pick on people they know they can defeat. Um, and I came over here to see how you do against somebody who could fight back. Uh, and I, I said, I just can't believe that you would hit the mother of your children. And, you know, you're a big guy and you're beating up on this little girl. And that's just disgusting. And so come out here and let's just see how you can do against somebody who can fight back. And uh, so it, it was one of those times where I got to relieve my stress. It was really good. I mean, I enjoyed it. And, uh, and then I started having other episodes like that. And I thought, you know, this would make a great book. Uh, and I, I, I thought that it would make a, a, not only a great book, but it would make a great TV series. You know, one of my favorite guys uh, was Michael Landon mm -hmm. because he produced things on TV that everybody could watch. You didn't have to worry about your children watching this because it was good. It had a good moral uh, outcome to it. Uh, you know, the little house on the prairie, uh, the highway to heaven. Um, I, I loved the uh, touch by an angel, you know, those kind of shows that had a good moral thing to it. Uh, you know, I have six grandkids and when my TV's on in the house, uh, there's sometimes I just have to turn it off and it's regular TV. Mm -hmm. So I thought this would make a great series, you know, because it would have a good moral outcome and all. And so after I wrote the book, um, I had somebody that contacted me immediately about wanting to make it into a movie. Uh, I never th I never thought it would be made into a movie. You know, I was hoping for a TV series. But then lo and mm -hmm. behold, uh, after, you know, a long process, uh, the book became a movie and uh you know, award-winning movie. It became uh, the uh, 2015 International Christian Film Festival Best Picture. So uh, congratulations. Just an amazing, amazing story of how God worked that out. What's the name of the book? Name of the book is uh, The Masked uh, Saint, and that's M-A-S-K-E-D, The Masked Saint. The name of the book is The Masked Saint. The name of the movie is The Masked Saint. So, and okay. uh, it's, it's, if you want to watch the movie, it's free. If you have uh, Amazon Prime, uh, it's on Amazon Prime. It's on Tubi. Uh, it's on Pure Flix, and uh, it's on demand. So you can you can get that. Or if you want to get the DVD, you can do that, too. How much input did you have in the production of the movie? You know, I, I, I was very blessed to have some input. Um, the, the movie was filmed in Canada in uh, Sault Ste. Marie, Canada. And uh, the producer was just a, a wonderful, wonderful guy by the name of Cliff McDowell. And when they were writing the script, 
uh, they would send me the script and I got to make some, you know, input into that. And then, you know, when the, uh, the movie was being filmed, uh, I was on set and I had the opportunity to give input on that too. So I was just, nice. I was just very, very blessed. They didn't give you a cameo. I did. I got a cameo. Oh, nice. I have two of them at the end. That's great. Uh, at the end of the movie, there's a, a steel cage match. And I'm in the audience. And so uh, I have one line in the whole movie. So that's at the very end. <laughs> that's great. Because I'd be like, you're not going to be doing a movie about me and not giving me a role. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care yeah. if I'm in the back sweeping floor somewhere. Like, I well, want to be after, on camera. <laughs> after the movie is over, they show some, uh, they show some pictures. Uh, I mean, I think there's a picture of, of me and Ron Simmons. Uh, of course, Ron mm -hmm. Simmons worked as Farouk. Uh, and he was uh, a, an All-American nose tackle for Florida State University. He played football for the Tampa Bay Bandits, which are making a comeback this year. And uh, Ron Simmons was just one of the best in the booth. So I got a picture with him in there and a picture with uh, Rick Rude, I think, and Rude. some others. And uh, so they get to see several pictures at the end. <laughs> I remember I brought, I brought my son, my oldest son, I think it was, it was, it was, it was a pay-per-view. I don't remember the name of it though, but it was here in Providence and at, at the main event, it was John Cena and the big show, I believe. And <clears throat> excuse me. And so they, they had like this big strobe light. And so they're, they're going back and forth. It was like a false count anywhere match, I believe. Yeah. And so the big show picks up John Cena and choke slams him through this strobe light. And so, so, like, when he put him through, you know, I know it's like pyrotechnics and stuff, but it was like an explosion. And so now I was just caught up by the how real it looked, right? And so, and then I look over, and my son is bawling. He is because he thought he thought John Cena died. <laughs> he was like, <laughs> oh my God, he's dead. <laughs> now, the first time I, I explained to him, I was like, no, like, it's, it's like a movie. You know how things blow up in a movie, but like, yeah. No, everyone's still alive. Yeah, so, yeah, but they did a re really good job with that one. Yeah, but my, but my son awesome. thought he was dead. He's like, he's dead. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> oh man. So what? What's next for you? Um, I I have uh, I have a friend from wrestling uh, that we've written a you know a few things together, and we uh, we wrote a book entitled uh, Mister President. Uh, it's a, it's a story that parallels two lives. It's the life of a, um, a comedian and the comedian runs for president every four years. If there used to be a guy named Pat Paulson that did that. Okay. So this guy, he's a sleazy comedian. He runs for president every four years and he gets uh, celebrities autographs, but unbeknownst to the celebrity, they're actually signing an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate. Oh. So he gets the world heavyweight wrestling champion who is uh, uh, he's a, a young African-American uh, boy who grows up to be the world heavyweight wrestling champion. He, he comes from a great family. You know, he's a he's the great guy, the sleazy comedian. And he gives the sleazy comedian his autograph. He's signing an agreement to be his vice presidential candidate. And so the promoters, they say, well, we're getting some good publicity. Just he'll never win. Just leave it alone. And then there's a big scandal with the Democrats and a big scandal with the Republicans. 
and the comedian wins the presidency. And while he's making his acceptance speech, he has a heart attack and it puts the world heavyweight wrestling champion in as president. And then he starts putting all of his wrestling buddies uh, uh, in his cabinet. <laughs> and it's, it's, it's a, it's a great, great book. Uh, it hadn't been published yet. We're working on that, but I'm already talking with uh, someone about making it uh, into a movie and uh, the, the lead for uh, the, the wrestler. I can't tell you who it is because uh, we don't have it all, but it's going to be great. It really is. It, it definitely sounds like it's going to be entertaining. Right. So I'd be uh, yeah. definitely interested in seeing that. Yeah, I actually wrote a Christmas book, too. I love Christmas, and uh, I love those Hallmark Christmas movies. And so mm. I figured, what would have a good chance of being made into a movie? So I wrote a Christmas book. It's called Harold's Heavenly Christmas. And matter of fact, uh, I just yesterday received uh, the screenplay completed. So it's going to be shopped to uh, Hallmark and some other places. And so I'm hoping that it's also going to be made into a movie, too. This is awesome. You're just cranking them out. Love it. Love it. So what was it like working with Rowdy Roddy Piper? You know, I worked against Roddy Piper 30 years before the movie, and he was just one of the best in the business. I mean, you talk about a great wrestler, a great worker, uh, and then a great actor. If you IMDB Roddy Piper, you'll just see a list and list of things that he was in. Mm -hmm. And, of course, he had he made a movie called They Live, I remember it, it has a cult following, but <laughs> he's just a great, great guy. And when I saw him on the set and I walked up and gave him a hug and it was just, you know, great to, uh, to see him again. He did a, a phenomenal job. Um, uh, he, he's the promoter in the movie and uh, did a phenomenal job. Um, got to got to be on the set with him for about three weeks. And it was just, it was just an awesome thing. Um, you know, he loved his family. If you, if you YouTube any of uh, Roddy Piper's matches, you'll see that he's got his wedding ring on. He never took his wedding ring off yeah. and uh, he didn't, didn't want to work on the weekends. He wanted to be home. He wanted to be with his family. Uh, and it was just very tragic. You know, the movie was, filmed in November of 2013. And then at the end of July in 2014, he passed away. And it was just, uh, it was tragic. Uh, we're the, we're the same age and it was just tragic to see him go so early. One of my, one of my biggest memories with him is when he had that beef with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Right. Remember when they were, it, it was obviously a stage, a stage scene. But like Hulk Hogan was begging and pleading, pleading with him, and because yeah. I, I, I believe I believe they were doing like a jealousy angle where like yeah. Hulk Hogan was getting all of the praise, and yeah. he kind of felt slighted, and then he ended up attacking him, and then it was yeah. then they just went into this big feud that culminated at at WrestleMania. But yeah. like Piper did such a amazing job selling that. Oh, yeah. That, that I still remember it vividly to this day. And that was a couple of decades ago. Yeah. You know? yeah. But, but, like, but he was just such an amazing actor. So yeah. you're absolutely right. So yeah. I, re yeah. I remember when I found out when he passed, it's like, you know, it's like you, you grow up watching 
watching yeah. these people like people don't understand that they they become a part of your childhood and child, right. part of your memories so mm -hmm. it definitely took me back a little when i heard the news yeah wow yeah he he uh he's going to be remembered for for a long long time oh yeah and uh you know the, people still bring up piper's pit to watch mm. you know, because he was so phenomenal in doing all of those and all. he'll he'll be greatly missed he really will let's let's talk a second for about about speaking so when you're when you're in the ring like how much work gets put into the promos um you know more and more so today than in the old days in the old days the you know, that, that was a big part of it, but now it's just like a full length drama on TV. <laughs> yeah. And, and so there's just, I mean, they have people in the background that are working on that. They didn't, in my day, they didn't have people in the background working on it. You did. Mm -hmm. So now, I mean, they've got professionals that are coming up with lines and things like that. And so it's just, uh, uh just amazing. You know, Vince, Vince McMahon, uh, was is probably one of the premier marketers in the world. In in my day, there were 26 territories all over the United States. You know, Florida was a big territory. Georgia was a big territory. Texas, you know, you had the you had the Von Erichs in East Texas and the Funks in West Texas and Pusky in South Texas, and uh, you had you know the AWA and on the the left coast, you had just all kinds of places where you could go and work. And then, you know, in the 80s, Vince McMahon uh, inherited the WWF, which was also a territory. Yeah. And then he is this unbelievable marketer, and he signed an agreement with NBC and USA, to, you know, USA Network. And he turned wrestling into a uh, – he turned wrestling into a uh, international worldwide thing – and made it into a multi-billion-dollar business. So it's just uh, incredible how things have changed. And you know, he he wants the very best to take place, and so he puts the best people in the business to do that. Yeah, and again, I've watched that. I've watched that explosion. Like I, I remember the very first WrestleMania, what? and then versus what it is now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like oh man yeah unbelievable unbelievable how it's changed it really is and that's what it that's what having a vision that's what that does you know he came into it with a vision right and we, we all know he's got the gun to get through right you know by any means necessary if he wants something damn it he's getting it yeah yeah he's got <laughs> it for sure all right so let's circle back to overcoming depression again. So if someone's watching this and they've they've struggled or are struggling with depression, what are some words of encouragement you could give to them? You know, with with me, the greatest the greatest help with me is the fact that I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, I became a Christian in 1973 and that really changed my life. But uh, I think God's word has some of the greatest help uh, 
uh, for depression for me, you know, because I, I talk to people with depression and they say, how do you, you know, overcome these things? There's a there's a passage of scripture in the Bible it's found in the, the gospel of Matthew, chapter six and verses 25 through following. And it's about worry. It's about anxiety. It's about depression. And he just, you know, I could take you verse by verse of things that just jump out at you to help you. But the big thing at the very end, I want to read this verse to you. It says, therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Mm. And the, the problem with so many people and with me is we have a tendency to borrow from tomorrow to worry about it today. And each day has enough of its own. And so I, you know, I have to share with people that do you realize that probably 99% of the things that we worry about the most never, never happen. They never transpire. And so we usually spend a lot of time and effort worrying, being depressed about things that are never going to take place in your life. Uh, another thing is having a great counselor. Uh, I have I have an awesome counselor. His, his name is Nelson Alsop, and uh, I have to talk to him uh, pretty often just to make, things, make sure things are moving smooth. So finding a great counselor will be a help. Having a great friend that you're accountable to is also a great help. Like I, I mentioned, my friend, Mike Harper, uh, he keeps me accountable and um, I'm able to run things by him and get great input in that. And then, you know, going for the Lord every day in prayer and asking for his help. Uh, all of those things are a big part of it. Yeah. And I just want to, piggyback on what you said about people worry about things that are most likely not going to happen. I'm actually working on a, a speech about that. It's called fake problems. Yeah. You know, it's like we, we worry over fake problems and yeah. I see it in, in the fitness business a lot. I can just say, all right, we're going to swing that kettlebell. Oh, that's too heavy. It's like, you didn't even pick it up. <laughs> it's like, you didn't, you didn't even try to swing the kettlebell and you're already defeating yourself right. over something like you're, you you already decided the outcome before you put forth any effort, right? And, and, you know, there's some there's a little thing I have to write down every now and then, and then put it up on on the mirror when I'm shaving. Mm-hmm. Um, it, and it it says this: if what you are worried about were to happen, would it be the end of the world? Exactly. And you know, it 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 helps to bring things into a more realistic view. Because, um, you know, some things that you you can't worry about things that you can't control. Mm -hmm. And so and those things add to your depression. But I I have to think very often, you know, this thing is bothering me. It's driving me crazy. If it were to happen, would it be the end of the world? And no, you know, I have a wonderful wife of 46 years. I have two wonderful, amazing, godly uh, daughters who are married to great young men. I have six grandchildren. If you took everything in the world away from me and the only thing I had left was my girls and my friends, I would still be a very wealthy person. And uh, I need to keep that in perspective in everything I do. I love that. Definitely gonna gonna edit that clip out because that that clip in itself is powerful. Because 
because too many times we attach ourselves to things. Right. You know, things that when we go, those things can't come with us. Right. <laughs> you know, and so when I'm working with people, trying to help them through things, the first thing I always say is it's okay to ask for help. Yeah, like it's, it's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Like yeah. one of one of my biggest pet peeves is when people always talk about independence, independence. Like there's there's no such thing. There's yeah. no such thing. It's like you, if you go to the grocery store, there's people there make, making it easier for you to get what you need. Right. right. When you go to the bank, someone helps you. Someone yeah. built your house. You know, you have a plumber. You have an electrician. Like nobody gets through this life without the help of someone else. Right. So when you're feeling down, that's when you need to reach out, you know, but, but then people are so afraid about being labeled. I don't want to be weak or I don't want to be this. It's like, how about you don't want to be depressed? (laughs) You know, do what you got to do to get out of the state of depression. And, And the best way to do that is to reach out to someone who cares about you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Those are great words, Robert. Great words. Thank you. Thank you. See, I'm dealing with the COVID brain pretty well. Not bad. Not bad. <laughs> All right. So give us some final words. Let people know how they can get in touch with you. You know, where can they find your books? All that good stuff. Yep. Uh, you can go to uh, www.themaskedsaint.com. And that's M-A-S-K-E-D, themaskedsaint.com. Um, you can contact me there. Uh, I'm on Facebook and um, anytime somebody messages me, I guarantee you I'm going to uh, I- I'm going to answer you. Uh, I love hearing from people, even you know to this day. I mean, the movie came out in 16 and I still have people that watch the movie and every week I get a message from somebody, hey, I just saw the movie or I just saw this. And I love to hear that and I love to reach back out to them. Uh, on my website, uh, if you order a book, um, you know, I'll be glad to autograph it for you and, uh, and, and mail it to you. Uh, the cheapest way to get the book is on Amazon, uh, but you can't get my autograph on that, but that's fine. Um, if, if you go to my website and order a book and let me know you saw uh, this uh, podcast, uh, with uh, Robert B. Foster. If you let me know that, I will throw in a free autographed eight by ten for you if you do that. Uh, but all of the all of the stuff's available there on the website, and uh, I just I love hearing from people. That's the energy that keeps me going. And I want to say, uh, Robert, you know I've read so many great things about you. Uh, your your podcast is just smoking and doing great. And if you're listening to this today, you need to uh, call 10 people and tell them that they need to subscribe to Robert's podcast uh, because it's one of the best in the business. And it's always going to, you're always going to get stuff that's going to help you in your daily walk. And uh, I can't thank you enough, young man, for uh, your generosity and having me on your podcast. My pleasure. My pleasure. This was a great conversation. And as we were talking, I have uh, other podcast friends. So I was jotting down their names of people I'm going to connect you with yeah. just to, to help help you keep spreading spreading the word. And because uh, like I said, depression, mental m- mental health, all that's it, it's huge. It's huge. And people yeah. need need the help. So can I say do- one final thing? Oh, yeah, absolutely. OK. All right. I don't want to take up all the time. 
I said the greatest thing that happened to me was the day that I came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Um, but there's a there's a passage in the Bible that's found in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18, and verses 1 through 6, where he told the, the prophet to go to the potter's house. And he would teach him a great lesson. And it's a lesson that I continue to tell people about. Whenever he saw the potter working with the clay and he finished it, it had a lot of flaws in it. And the, the word says that it was marred in the hands of the potter. And so he took that same piece of clay and he squished it back together. He put it back on the wheel and he made the same piece of clay into a new vessel. And then he said, cannot I do the same with you as the potter has done with the clay or as the clay is in the hands of the potter? So are you in my hand. Whenever I came to God, I had so many flaws. Robert, I was such a mess. I really was. I had so many flaws in my life. And God squished me back together. He put me back on the wheel and he made me into a new vessel. And so what I'm telling you is that God is a God of a second chance. And if you've messed your life up, that's not the end of the story. Failure is not final. Yes. Give it to God. Let him put you back on the wheel and make you into a new vessel uh, out of the same clay, because that's exactly what he did with me. He made me into a new vessel out of the same clay that had a lot of flaws in it. And he became and, and, and he made me into a useful vessel. And he can do the same with you. Love it. Perfect. So I have no, nothing else to add to that. That was perfect. All right. So, again, thank you very much for taking the time to share your expertise. Like. We could have spent the whole hour talking about wrestling. Like, <laughs> like I, well, I, still have, I still have so many other questions about that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So like I said, I'm going to – I know we're connected on Facebook, so be on the lookout for some, some messenger connections with some other podcast hosts. Right? We'll help you spread the word. And so, again, that's themassaint.com. It's the name of a movie, name of his book. And he's got – what else did you say? Uh, Harold's Heavenly Christmas and uh, uh, the, Mr. President should be coming out. You know, I, I'm working on the publishing part of that. So just in the in the future, you'll hear about Mr. President. And uh, oh, by the way, the Mass Saint book is better than the movie. Okay, that's what All you right. need. All right, got it. All right, God bless All right. you. All right, sir. Take care. Have a great day. Thank you. You've been listening to Shut Up and Grind. We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com. Until next time, shut up.